0: Steve Huey was one of my early guests on this podcast way back in 2018 and how our experience of business life and travel has changed in four years. I wanted to invite Steve back as a refresher on how we experience as a society has evolved, for better or worse maybe, in a world that's been battered by COVID-19 and all the border closure pain that has plagued the airline and travel sectors. Airlines are posting record losses as we enter year three of the pandemic but also they've lost experienced staff due to layoffs and restructures. Most of us who are keen to get back on the flights and kind of travel and see the world again, just want to fly. And we don't want extensive airport delays or endless flight changes to do so. A recap of who Steve is, is probably in order. For Over 17 years, Steve's applied his skills solving complex problems in senior finance roles in corporations, including Macquarie Bank, but made the brave move to leave the corporate world to study his own business, inspired by innovative thinking, his passion for travel, and a burning desire to optimise things. He's a CPA and holds a Bachelor of Commerce from the University of New South Wales. Then a new business idea evolved, and it all started when he flew for the very first time in business class around 14 years ago on a business trip, and he was hooked. Since then, he's religiously researched and tested his knowledge in extracting the best ways to maximise points to fly and ideally fly business class, hence flat. He established this business in 2012 and it's the leader in reward points management. They're experts in points advice and flight bookings. flat provides a fully managed service helping businesses and individuals uncover the true value of their airline and credit card points. So let's explore what that looks like in 2022, particularly as we head towards the end of the year and a summer for most of us in this end of the world means lots of travel. So welcome to the Politics of Everything, Steve.
1: Thank you very much, Amber.
0: Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since 2017, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution to make the process quick and painless, the way podcasting should be. If you know me, I'm pretty obsessed with quality guests, quality content and quality sound, and that's what Zencaster allows me to do. Not to mention it's really easy to use, even for my guests that aren't particularly tech-savvy. There's nothing to download. They just click on the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production all in the one tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get each episode done. I want you to have the same great experience that I do for all my podcasts and content needs. So I have a special offer for you. If you go to zen.ai forward slash politics of everything and enter this promo code, you'll get 30% off in your first three months when you sign up to Zencaster Pro. That's Z-E-N dot A-I, politics of everything. It's now time to share your story. Excellent. I laughed at this because when we were preparing for the show, I, I have very standard questions and I've got sort of obviously industry or topic specific questions. And you candidly told me that you don't recall having any childhood memories of what you wanted to do, you know, as a kid when you grew up. So I feel like that's a bit of a, a breakaway maybe from my normal kind of way of starting the show. But can you tell us a little bit about your early career and kind of what shape that took?
1: Yeah. So I remember when you asked me that question, I thought, yeah, I don't have any like, I didn't <laughs> want to be a pilot or a fireman or sort of like that sort of stuff because I remember very clearly when I was choosing after I finished my HSC, I was choosing what subject I wanted to do at university and I was tossing up between doing a psychology degree or a commerce degree and the thing that tipped the balance was I looked at salary guides and uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and commerce was clearly way higher than psychology and that's what tipped the mark and that's what led me to become an accountant.
0: I think it was very much of our era, wasn't it, too? Like I remember my parents, you know, when you get your sort of back in the day, you got your, your HSC results and, you know, it was kind of like, well, am I smart enough to get into this course and and the one that kind of is going to have me, you know, set up for life, which of course... You know, a number of decades later, there's no such thing as jobs for life. So I think it's interesting, probably how that's evolved since we were maybe going through that early career decision making process.
1: Yeah, indeed. I think these days, uh, uh, most people have multiple jobs in their in their mix. But, but really interesting, I've haven't had that many jobs in my whole career, uh, in total. So yeah, absolutely. So after university, I started my work in the wholesale travel industry, and that really sort of like excited me in understanding that airlines seats every single seat is a different price Yeah, uh, nothing right. much is similar where obviously like if you buy a car that the price of the cars might differ of the same model by a little bit but yeah on airline seats every single seat costs different and no one knows because they never ask each other how much do you pay
0: <laughs> that's true we just all assumed that we went online and, and did it ourselves which is probably how your business was born of course i Fly flat survived and maybe even thrived i haven't spoken to you about this yet in the past few years when the pandemic obviously changed travel as in stopped travel in many ways for a very long time can you tell us what the last couple of years has looked like for your business i'm assuming you didn't just sort of you know watch netflix for two years i'm sure you were doing something else
1: yeah well, i actually did a lot of reading books and po- listening to podcasts so the travel, being an Australian travel company, many would know that there was an international travel ban set by the government. So that means the Australian government said no one can come in or out, which meant as a travel business we couldn't service anyone. We had people wanting to fly, but we couldn't book many flights because you had to get an exemption to fly, and getting an exemption was super hard.
0: Oh, absolutely. There were people who were saying they could also they could go. Say, for example, there was a you know a, fa- a death in the family or something really unfortunate, and they had to go to the UK. But it was the getting back that they were finding very difficult.
1: Oh yeah, the getting back bit actually came later. Initially, you couldn't even get out of the country, and then later, people were happy that they could get out, but they never knew that they could never get back, which is a, like a first time ever in history.
0: Absolutely. So, what did that mean for the business? Did you just press pause?
1: Yeah, we pressed pause. Like We were very lucky that we could be able to subject to some of the job keeper arrangements. So the government support, we took advantage of that, passed it over to our team. Uh, interestingly, we still had the same team as before. It's the same people as before versus now. They, they are back booking flights. But what was the biggest sort of pains for us was that finding frequent fly flights is already difficult. So that means that all those seats that we found for customers, that we booked pre-COVID and then we had to cancel, it was like you we were going back, digging holes and putting the diamonds back in the dirt. And, <laughs> like, and burying them again. Yes, that was so painful. <laughs> like you're so hard to find in the first place that now I have to go back and cancel them.
0: Absolutely. That's incredible. But you did survive and yes. obviously you knew at some point this, uh, this hiatus would end. So I think that's great that you managed to be able to do that. There would have been a lot of other businesses that – you know, might have just decided it was time to, to sort of, you know, look somewhere else for for how they're gonna survive.
1: Yeah, well I had a good hard look in my business and I had a, a good thinking that well, would travel resume? Yes, of course. And also during that time, there's a lot of news in America about uh, the valuation of frequent fly programs. Like Delta and American Airlines were able to raise like over twenty billion dollars on wow. the back of their freaking fly programs. And that gave me a real clue that, well, these freaking fly programs are here to stay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how have those flyer points programs that you predominantly work with changed and does that make it better or worse for most of us who want to travel again?
1: None of the airlines have actually made any major changes to the number of points to fly and I think that's a good move because if they did, then consumers would. Sort of like even be more displeased with them than they are now. So <laughs> yeah, we're
0: pretty we're pretty unhappy. And and look, just to give everyone context, you know, I'm sure it's similar overseas, but in Australia in particular, every day there's a story about how long it's taking to even get on a domestic flight. Flights being cancelled, staff shortages. And, like, it's literally so painful to take a trip at the moment that people are actually, you know, considering whether it's worth it sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah. But interestingly, this is now where frequent flyer points really shine because because the airlines have not increased the number of points to take a trip, but the cash ticket prices have gone up. So now, actually, when you're flying on, on frequent flyer points and you can find a seat, you're actually saving more than ever because your cash – Airfare equivalent has skyrocketed, but the number of points to fly has not.
0: That's interesting. So, I guess, in terms of what you can offer people, are you finding people are coming back to you wanting to do more travel or less travel? And I'm thinking about this because I'm thinking about my own habits. So, two and a half, three years ago, you know, I'd get on a plane to fly to a Melbourne training session or even a series of meetings people have now been re-educated for example to go on to zoom for example just to do you know a half hour meet and greet or even zoom media training or whatever it might be people are happy to kind of do that in a way that they perhaps weren't in 2019 or 2018 when we spoke so how has business travel in particular evolved and what are, what are you seeing in terms of trends in terms of frequency in terms of destinations is business class such a big deal now.
1: Yeah, interesting question. I think, it, in in a word, it's probably too early to say because most businesses have not really resumed their corporate travel yet. So most of the travel right now is what they know as family and friends travel. People are going to visit their family and friends that they have not seen for two, three years. So that's what's making up most of the international travel and for holidays. Uh, in terms of business travel, I think some companies are trying to get on the front foot and getting people flying again because mm. they know that business is based on relationships and you can only build so much via Zoom while being there in person, you can actually build a stronger relationship. So I've seen a bit of mix of both. But overall, I believe business travel will be lower uh, in yeah. the future than versus pre-pandemic.
0: Absolutely. So obviously we're facing inflation and cost of living pressures that are unfamiliar for maybe some people who don't recall previous recessions. I'm aging myself here, like the 1990s recession where my parents still remind me of the 18% interest rates and all the associated costs. And that pain is real and it affects people's disposable income to actually travel and do other things. So what else do reward programs have to do, do you think, to create more value that they are maybe not doing now? Because we are not living kind of in an era where, where you know, there's endless disposable income and that's not going to change if we're listening to what any of the you know, Reserve Bank and the other authorities are saying in the next couple of years. What, what else do we need to be kind of looking for them to add to, to sweeten it and how might you use that in your business as that comes on board?
1: Yeah, I think they need to branch out and give more rewards on the ground. So the airlines have always been all about flying rewards. Like yes. using points to fly business in first class is the biggest bang on buck. But on the ground rewards, like even allowing you to use points for shopping or other things that you have to spend money on the ground. So making it much more of a lifestyle reward rather than just purely freaking, freaking flying or travel reward. Like some airlines like coins have started to do that, where they can u- let you use your points to pay at BP for fuel. But I would like to see a bigger return rather than just a flat half a cent per point redemption rate. Uh, they should be taking advantage of where, say, say restaurants, you know, say the five to six o'clock sitting uh, needs more people, so they should, could they could potentially attract more people to those earlier sittings mm. by letting them redeem their points at a higher value. So therefore, more wins sort of restaurant, more wins sort of consumer, more wins sort of frequent flyer program as well.
0: And you're thinking not just in an airport sit- setting, like these restaurants and these sort of facilities could be, obviously, BP, you'd be going to your petrol station outside of the airport. You're thinking a broader consumer program, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, basically part of your everyday life. It could be a cafe down the road, a way to redeem a coffee. You know, how coffee now has gone from three
0: dollars $6, or- apparently, in some, some cities.
1: <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Like, ability for your points to sort of, like, cut a bit of price off that, I think will help, People realise that, that points are much more valuable than just purely travel.
0: And is that something that in your business you'd be advocating for in, in a way, or do you wait to sort of see what what the sort of airlines offer and then you capitalise on that? What's the business model behind that thinking?
1: Yeah, we're the second model. We just make it basically utilise what's available and helping our consumers understand how to get the best bang for buck for it. But along the way, obviously, we understand good ideas that come along, so we we try to advocate for that. So, therefore, it gets more people more chances to earn and use their points. But we, we're pretty much focused on the pointy end. Like there's mm. nothing more amazing than the fact that you can fly first class but don't have to pay for it.
0: Absolutely. I'm yet to experience it, so I probably need to chat to you when I, I feel confident enough to travel overseas again. I've, I haven't done that yet. So, changing tack a little bit, you must have had along your way, I guess, some mentors or people who've influenced your business ideas your career and maybe inspired you in some way is there one in particular or maybe two that really stand out for you and what have they taught you or showed you about success
1: yeah I think the first one I can sort of it's Richard Branson like everyone points to Richard Branson but because I'm in travel,
0: I was gonna and- say it's a bit more relevant to what you do
1: Yeah, yeah, and then obviously his origin story was that his flight got cancelled, therefore he just gathered up a whole bunch of people and did a charter flight, and that's how sort of supposedly Virgin Airline got started. But even in terms of the way I do marketing, uh, you know, some of the marketing stunts I do for a bit of fun, it's always about having fun and getting your brand name out there. So I guess first off, I'd say Richard Branson is a a good person. If I ever met him, I wouldn't know what to ask him, so... (laughs) you haven't, you
0: haven't done one of those retreats, you know. Some people go over to Necker, and it's a once in a lifetime thing, I think. Or some people are fortunate enough to be able to forge you a couple of times, and you can actually go and spend a week hanging out with Richard. And I've had a few guests that have talked about that experience being quite life changing and how you know approachable and human he is, which is probably part of his marketing as well, right? It's um, you know, when yeah. I lived in the UK. Uh, you know, twenty odd years ago, I remember they had the Virgin Bride Store, which doesn't exist anymore. And he, and the, and the stunt was he came out in a wedding dress. I don't think politically you could do that anymore; it would probably cause a lot of offence. But he's always been known for that. You know, a little bit of a but also relatability. And I think you know people say that that experience. I mean, I I think it'd be quite. Yeah. What were you, What do you talk about in the downtime? You're sitting around in board shorts, but I think that's his approach to to everything that's about relationships.
1: Yeah, and a, and a very fun and lighthearted creative attitude to life. And I think that that's more than just business, it's just life. Like if you have that free out and consistent between business and life, then you're really going to have a fun life because you're not switching hats, you're not switching modes or faces.
0: Yeah, you're just yourself all the time and it doesn't matter that you're not in a suit or in an office or doing a big launch. You're just somewhere, you know, being with people and, and talking to people and I think that's I love those kind of mentors.
1: Yeah. And I think the second one, oh, I don't know, like uh, one of my favorite quotes is like, you no, know, to to walk a thousand miles takes the first step, or something very similar to that. And yes. because I'm in the business of miles being points, so it's very much the same that, you no, know, to get enough points to fly first of business class, you got to start with a single point. And when I was doing running, I had a bit of a period of time where I was doing half marathons. And that was something that really resonated with me because, you no, know, to do, say, half marathon, you just got to start doing your first K and your second K and it just all rolls on from there.
0: Absolutely. So if we spoke in a year's time and that probably feels like a little while away because the world, you know, who knows where we'll be. Hopefully it just keeps getting better and better for us travellers. What would be your number one goal to have achieved in the business and why?
1: I definitely want to get more small businesses to be flying. So the fact that Australia is so far away from the rest of the world, I just really want more small businesses to realize that just by purely spending money on the right credit card earning the right type of points, they can basically leverage that and have lots and lots of trips paid for from their points. So I guess what I want to see people is come back to me and say, well, thanks, Steve. I took up your advice and I've been flying all these places where I've never been before and here are some photos. Like you know, mm-hmm. sometimes my clients send me photos
0: Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. great. That's got to feel good though, you know, particularly if they're sitting in first class with uh, a nice glass of verve or something like that.
1: Yeah, I know that they wouldn't have been in that position without sort of using points or understanding how that works. So I guess in a year's time, just more people, more stories like that uh, and more people sort of like, oh, cool. Oh, you're Steve. That's I read about you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The the points whisperer. A final takeaway message for us today on the new politics of flyer points.
1: Yeah, I I think like freaking flyer points is money and there's many ways to use that money. And then then the other flip side is to think about how much does it cost you to collect these points. So you want to make sure that you you basically engineer uh, upside for you so you can't go back. And um, I'm I'm still 100% into points. I had a chance in COVID to switch jobs, switch careers, but I believe there's so much future and value here.
0: Absolutely. So if you do want to connect further with Steve and obviously find out more about iFly Flat, there will be some details on the show notes. Until next time, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple,